George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg portrayed two of the crew on the fishing boat called the Andrea Gale out of Gloucester, Massachusetts in October of 1991. If you recall the movie, or if you have seen the movie, The Perfect Storm, then you know what I'm referring to. There was high waves, and the ending was not all that great. And what the men found themselves in the midst of was what was called a perfect storm. Not the only one that has ever happened in history, but certainly something frightening on every side. I wonder if they could even hear themselves speak to one another in the howling elements, the winds and the sideways water that was blowing across as they endured for at least a little while that perfect storm. So, in chapter 3 of N.T. Wright's book, Simply Jesus, he titles his chapter, The Perfect Storm. And I think what the challenge is for us as we read this rather lengthy chapter compared to the first two is that we must row out to sea in order to explain Jesus, but we are going to be surrounded by storms. So the question is, uh, we understand what we're talking about and what we feel and we trust ourselves when we speak about Jesus. But do others, can others understand where we're coming from when we speak about such a controversial figure of history such as Jesus was? So when we mention his name, it's kind of like we're in that boat and we can't even hear one another speak to each other at times because there are different conversations that come from all kinds of different directions. Uh, sometimes we don't even recognize which directions those are. But uh, nonetheless, we are out in the middle of the sea as believers trying to communicate the identity and mission of Jesus to people who have not understood it or have not been taught it or reject it, and we have a very difficult task ahead. So let's get on into chapter three with N.T. Wright's book, Simply Jesus. My name is Ty Nickel, and you're listening to Lighthouse Podcast. Last night, we found ourselves in class, beginning chapter 3 of N.T. Wright's Simply Jesus, and I want to catch us up to speed. Uh, by the way, thank you, Barbara, for the purchase of the books uh, that we're able to use, and thank you for your time spent in listening to the podcast. We're uh, greatly appreciative, of, and all of you who are listening to the podcast as well, um, in our discussions on Wednesday nights, we are excited that you can join us in this way. So we find ourselves in chapter 3 talking about the perfect storm, but let's go back all the way to chapter 1 and chapter 2 just very briefly to see where we've come from. Chapter 1, we heard about a very odd sort of king 
And we found that in chapter 1, there was a challenging question about Jesus that Western culture seems to avoid. And that is, who is he exactly? Or who does Jesus say he is? And that is a very difficult thing for us as a culture to address at times. And one of the other questions in chapter 1's list was, how have churches made Jesus smaller than the biblical portrait? And why do the Gospels provide a proper place to begin a discovery of Jesus? Well, we talked a little bit about those things. And one of the reasons that this is being... Uh, going downstream, these ideas in chapter 1 are going downstream about who is Jesus, who is he claiming to be from the Gospels, and why we need to revisit these things is because culture doesn't do that. Culture does not understand who Jesus is. They do have impressions of Jesus. Uh, We don't understand uh, his context. We don't understand as a culture the world that Jesus lived in, and we need to try. We need to figure that out. And we know that Jesus uh, is still dangerous because for some he represents threats uh, to established social norms or established traditions, uh, even in churches and religious settings. So we had a few uh, discussions about what puzzles N.T. Wright was talking about in chapter 2 when he talked about the three puzzles. And the first one had to do with the fact that Jesus uh, is not from our context. In other words, he is not, he's not a modern Western individual. He came from a Middle Eastern perspective, Jewish to be exact, and... He needs to be studied within that light and how they would have viewed the world at that time. And the difficulty with with that is that we are short on information when it comes to that. The second puzzle was that Jesus came introducing a different version of who God really is. And even the disciples had to be taught once again who God really is. They had their own impressions of God, and they were at many times proven to be incorrect or inaccurate. And it's not just the fact that uh, they were taking a test in teaching as if we were in school, and if they did not pass, uh, then they would just be scolded or have to go do something else. No, this was a all-in kind of deal, where if they got uh, Jesus as God incorrect, they would get their mission in the uh, world incorrect. And that's a big problem. In other words, their vocation had to be reimagined or redefined by Jesus. And that's where we are when we're talking about all of these things in chapter 3 as well. So the third puzzle that made... Um, Jesus very dangerous even today is that he was exclusive in his teaching. He he didn't allow any other kind of pantheon. In other words, a he didn't become he didn't want to become a 
one among many gods. Uh, he didn't offer variations on his teaching. Uh, it was, you have to come to the Father through me. Or in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come unto me unless, or no one can come unto the Father except by me. So you have Jesus being very exclusive. And so we find ourselves now in chapter 3, where N.T. Wright is talking about the perfect storm. And I want to reiterate that the perfect storm is something that N.T. Wright believes that he himself finds himself in, along with uh, Christians. Anybody who is studying or writing about Jesus, he says, in the second paragraph of chapter 3, says, we find ourselves at the mercy of our own perfect storm. And so, I think to break this down, because some of his language is not what most of us are used to, is to talk about Jesus in this way that most people don't understand uh, us when we talk about Jesus, because it is very difficult to define Jesus quickly. And our culture would like to have packaged definitions and those packaged definitions sometimes come at uh, high costs when it comes to teaching people about Jesus because they are extreme versions most of the time. Those packages can be like the storms that the crew of the Andrea Gale found themselves right in the midst of. So what I want to try to get through our um understanding at the moment is that we have a challenge to talk about Jesus in the first place to where someone can even understand where we're coming from. We have to, we have to provide a context, and that context uh, might take some time and effort, and it, it might even require conversation to where feedback uh, from both sides is very important to understanding how to communicate Jesus. Again, uh, the version of God that we have, we may trust and we may believe to be accurate and correct, and we are very comfortable with that. But most people don't know what we're comfortable with or what we think is correct. They have to be, um, it has to be revealed to them through our teaching and through our communication. So that is going to be the way it is with anything uh, in school. Uh, in order to become familiar with something, we're going to have to put some effort into research or answering or wrestling with certain questions that come up in the process. So with that, I wanted to review our last two chapters and begin Diving into our third chapter, The Perfect Storm. If we want to keep people from understanding the truth about something, we can distort the truth. And what N.T. Wright does in his second section of chapter 3 as he titles it, The Distortions of Skepticism and Conservatism. 
he adds some categories to these distortions of what truth or reality is all about. And so I think that like the intense storms that surrounded the Andrea Gale, he's using these ideas of skepticism and conservatism in Western culture as analogous to storms or extreme versions of things when we talk about the truth about who Jesus is. So the distortions of skepticism and conservatism is the second section in chapter 3. And skepticism is not something that is a necessarily a healthy skepticism. Uh, it is something in culture that Wright is trying to talk about in view of those who would uh, outright reject the claims of Jesus and how that influences culture. Uh, you have many that he names uh, that are what are sometimes called the new atheists, like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, and Sam Atkins. And I think Christopher Hitchens passed away recently. Uh, you have them selling all kinds of books, uh, he says, by the cartload in his country in England. So what they want to do is uh, reassure anxious ex-believers that the nightmare of small-minded and stultifying religion is gone forever. That's uh, in the third paragraph there in the second section. So that is the idea of skepticism's reaction to Jesus, or the category of skepticism is a reaction to the story of Jesus, and they just do not believe uh, anything that has to do with the theology or teaching or the text of the Bible. And so you have a, what would we would probably try to say is an oversimplification in their reaction, or because their overreaction uh, we believe is unnecessary, uh, it, it is extreme. And so the other side of it was the distortion of uh, conservatism. So this is, this is in the category of those who would believe in Jesus. N.T. Wright is making out an analogy about those who would outright uh, just dismiss or have canned responses to those who are skeptics. And we talked a little bit about this last night in the idea of what rationalism is and where that comes from. And rationalism uh, is not easy to explain. Rationalism uh, actually talks about maybe the absence of religious understanding. Rationalism is maybe something that is uh, not centuries old, uh, but maybe millennia old with the Greeks and um, especially the Greeks, where you use logic and reasoning uh, and whatever you think that means to base your reality on. And so today that has um, transformed itself into other ways of uh, explaining our creation and uh, universe, our, our human reality, and so forth. And so we have skeptics on one hand, and then we have what Wright is calling conservatisms, or not conservatisms, but conservative thinking, on the other hand, where they would be believers, yet they would have 
canned responses or they would have uh, improper responses to skeptics. So this is driving the conversation and this is a distortion of a proper conversation about who Jesus is. Uh, I, I talked briefly about the idea of uh, John, or not John, in Matthew chapter 22, where we have the idea of uh, Jesus speaking about or being trapped by the Pharisees about uh, the tribute to Caesar. We have this idea of where Jesus is going to be presented with two extreme ideas, and either one he chooses, he's going to be seen as either discredited, uh, being a radical and be discredited, or being a radical for um, something else and also being not as genuine or pure. And Jesus is not trapped in that, instead turns the trap on them and even says his opponents were amazed at what he taught about it or what he said, his response. Now, I'm not going to go into that uh, now. I have that in other podcasts, episodes. And so you get this idea that if we in our culture as a group are trying to have a conversation or communicate the truth about who Jesus is, there are going to obviously be distortions. And the distortions, usually the symptoms of those distortions, N.T. Wright is saying, come up oftentimes in skepticism and conservatism. So, uh, what happens is is that uh, he says, for what it's worth, in his last paragraph in section two, uh, he says his long-lasting impression is that the quote-unquote Jesus who gets caught in the crossfire of these cultural wars may be considerably less than the Jesus we actually find in the pages of the early Christian writings and in real first century history itself. He says, after all, just as it's quite possible for skeptics to be mistaken, so it's quite possible, as church history shows, uh, in plenty for devout Jesus followers to be mistaken as well. So it's vital to look again at Jesus himself. And so this makes sense within his context. I think what's difficult for us if we read the chapter is that we're not going to get the thrust of what he's dealing with in terms of uh, labeling the high-pressure systems surrounding the boat. In other words, he's going to make connections or analogies with the pressure systems, the storms uh, that are coming on different sides. And he's going to say that conservatism, in one way, not necessarily political, um, maybe theological conservatism is what he's getting at. And then you have the idea of skepticism, which is another extreme reaction to the story of Jesus. There's going to be, um, there's going to be both, both companies or both categories of people are going to be mistaken when they have such reactions. So we have to take a look at Jesus again from scripture and that's what he's proposing to do so he has in his next section it's called the two jesus myths 
And this is going to be an interesting thing that we have not gotten into in class yet. So it may take us a few weeks to get into all of chapter 3 and have a, a fruitful discussion about chapter 3 because it is lengthy compared to the first two. And now we're talking about some ideas of two Jesus myths. So I want to kind of leave that as a a cliffhanger to what he is actually going to talk about if you have not read that yet. Uh, but it is going to get into some more detail about how we are going to try to communicate Jesus in these in this storm of conversations that or that seem to distort everything that we're trying to communicate or everything that the Bible is trying to communicate about Jesus. So it becomes a challenge, not for everyone, but for a lot of people in our culture. And the more and more culture attempts to give us impressions or not give us impressions of certain things about the story of Jesus, the more difficult it can become for other people to learn about him at all. For today's final and third segment of the podcast episode, I want to just briefly touch on the third section in chapter 3, which is called The Problem of Historical Complexity. And he uses an illustration which uh, seems to give us a very good picture of what he's trying to drive, which direction he's trying to drive us in. And he says, take, for, take an example, John F. Kennedy is perhaps one of the best-known Americans of the mid-20th century. His presidency was, of course, cut short by his sudden and violent death, a death that had and perhaps still has iconic significance for many Americans and others around the world. Uh, those of us alive at the time all still remember where we were when we heard the news. Now suppose we had four books containing very detailed accounts of what Kennedy did and said during his three-year presidency, with only a brief glance at what went before. Suppose it was quite clear that these were put together by people who believed that what Kennedy had done and said had lasting importance for their own day. But suppose as well that instead of over, the overwhelming multitude of sources we actually have for, for the decades before his day, we simply had a history book written in the early years of the 21st century, plus a scattering of other material. A few letters, tracts, coins, souvenir artifacts, that kind of thing, to help us reconstruct the world within with in which what Kennedy did and said made the sense it did at the time, and particularly to get some idea of why some thought him a hero and others thought him uh, to thought he had to be killed. One can imagine all the theories, the reconstructions of the Cold War mentality, the social and cultural tensions of the 60s in the United States, and the state of the main political parties at the time, uh, the dynastic ambitions of Kennedy's father, and so on. There would be plenty, plenty of wiggle room for interpretation. 
And I think that is a striking paragraph there that kind of helps us get an idea of where he's going with the problem of historical complexity. Uh, we don't have a truckload of information concerning everything we would want regarding the story of Jesus. So we have those kinds of problems uh, that will, again, stifle any kind of communication of the truth about Jesus. And so we have this idea of this perfect storm that N.T. Wright starts us on this idea in chapter 3 where the Andrea Gale is out there 500 miles off the coast and we have these storms, we can imagine these storms surrounding them and they can't even hear each other talk as they're being pelted by rain or uh, the wind is so strong and so forth and let alone having extremely dangerous, maybe 100 foot waves out there. Uh, you, you're We're going to be in this kind of environment when we try to communicate the story of Jesus to others. And that's what we want to do. But it's going to be a difficult thing to do on a, uh, in a world that has all of these uh, violent systems that surround uh, the discussion of who Jesus is. And our world certainly has been told about Jesus, but there, of course, there are some that have not heard, but with uh, the globalization of our economy, YouTube, Facebook, everything that is being, um, in our era as being communicating anything that we really want, people can learn all kinds of things, and the impressions they will get from certain people may be inaccurate, or they may be misinformed, in huge ways, and that makes it more difficult to understand who Jesus is. So the questions that I have developed for chapter 3, I have six of them. And so they're simple ones, uh, most of them, but uh, some of them are a little bit difficult to gain from the chapter. So if you have your book, number one, what does the wind from the west represent? Number two, what does the high-pressure system from the north symbolize? Number three, does N.T. Wright believe Jesus to be somewhere in the middle of that? Number four, can you describe the two myths? Uh, and do you feel Wright is on to something or not? Number five, what does the tropical storm symbolize? And number six, the last question, what seems to be a challenging what seems to be a challenge for reconstructing the world Jesus lived in? And so these are going to be um, questions that we're going to continue to discuss in class. But this is just chapter 3, and we have uh, many to go. And uh, we don't want to try to say everything that we can in one episode. And that wouldn't be very helpful anyway. We need to kind of slow down and get our bearings kind of like as if we're out to sea anyway. So uh, I want to thank you for listening. And again, if you have any questions or comments, uh, you can always email gcoc.news at gmail.com. gcoc.news at gmail.com. And we'll try to answer those as quickly as possible. And um, Maybe we can have some 
Q&A episodes when it comes to the study of this book or our other class right now in the Gospel of John. So, if you're listening to this episode, uh, you can find, and you have not chosen a platform uh, with which you're comfortable yet, there are seven platforms uh, that you can choose from. You can do an easy Google search. Uh, We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. Breaker. Uh, We're on uh, other ones that I will give to you in uh, future episodes as well. But we're just type in Lighthouse Podcast and you should see several. Uh, But if you type in Lighthouse Podcast, the Greenville Church of Christ, or Ty Nickel, you will find uh, the podcast immediately. Or type in the title to the episodes if you want to choose a different platform with which to listen to the rest of the episodes. Again, thank you for listening. We're grateful that uh, we have this opportunity to communicate about Jesus, and uh, using N.T. Wright's book is a, a different way of doing that. It will certainly have its um, benefits and uh, disadvantages with trying to understand uh, an English author as popular as he is who is writing for a, a very big Western culture and anyone who can read. Uh, I don't know if his books are written in other languages, but he is writing on a global scale. So we uh, appreciate the fact that we can have a class on it and talk more about it. Again, you've been listening to Lighthouse Podcast, and I hope you're looking forward to our next episode in Chapter 3, titled The Perfect Storm.